How many guys would be nervous if you had to come up and do an exhortation or play the piano or all the singing that they did? I think they did a wonderful job. If we could thank them this evening. I know they didn't do it for our praise. They didn't do it for our applause. I know they were doing it for the Lord, and I think that's what makes it important. We were talking earlier, uh, and uh, you know, if you think about how God's economy works, in the temple, we had the widow who came in and gave two mites, and we had that rich man who came in and gave $1,000, or whatever the, I don't know, dollars, 1000 whatever it was. What did God value more? The widow's mite. And so we might not always have the best voice, we might not have the best ability and, and uh, all the rest, but a heart that desires to glory and worship and honor God, I think he's pleased with. Amen. And so I, I was very proud and uh, um, very happy that we were able to, to do this. I know many of them were nervous for the last couple months even. Uh, I, was, uh, I was definitely looking forward to it. And I was talking to some of our young adults, Pastor Jess' class, the teens. Come on, we ran a service, so I'm, I'm throwing the challenge down that at some point, I think our young adults should, uh, should be able to do a service as well. How many of our church family would enjoy that? All right. All right, Mark chapter 10 this evening. Uh, we're just going to be talking about teenagers, talking about children. And uh, I know some of our teens are, are practically adults, and then some of them are very young teens. Um, but I think they all kind of fall into this category. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about that this evening. Um, a little, and part of the message is geared towards them. All right. So teens, if you're uh, listening, there's an application. There is a challenge for you at the end. Uh, but then I also have a challenge to our parents. And I have a challenge to us as a church family. And so we're going to be looking at this this evening about, uh, about the, the duty of, of raising children, the duty of investing in our teenagers. And we'll start by just jumping out from Mark chapter 10. We won't spend our evening here, but I want us just to see the heart of Jesus. And I know this is a passage that, that I personally have mentioned quite a few times as we uh, talk about junior church or talk about bus ministry, um, but it, it shows us so much of our Savior, it shows, us, shows us his heart. So let's look at this. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. Now, how many of you know children can be a lot of work? Children are, let's say it that way, children are a lot of work, all right? And these disciples, they thought, oh, the master's busy. The master is teaching us. He's investing in us. And when these children came to him, when the parents brought these children to him, they thought, he doesn't have time, all right? But the Bible records Jesus' response, verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. That did not bring him joy. To turn away these children that had just come for a blessing did not bring him joy. And he said unto them, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them and blessed them. You know, just thinking about our salvation very briefly, just as an introduction, you know, he says, who shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter therein. When we think about our faith, all right, and you think about the faith of a child, all right, I don't, Tim and Toby, they're in here, all right, I get to pick on my boys tonight, all right, we think about my relationship with, with my boys, the trust that they have in me, all right, and I'm not their savior, okay, but think about the, the trust 
and the faith of a child. And we need to mirror that to our Savior. As we think about a child's faith, it's simple. It's not complex. It's not fully developed out and all the rest. It's a simple faith. It's a dependent faith. All right, can my boys survive without my wife and I? No. You know, they'd be out on their own. There'd be no one to pay the bills or no one to bring food home. It's a dependent faith. It's a humble faith. All right? I know sometimes our children act like they are the adults, but at the end of the day, they know mom and dad are mom and dad. All right? We draw those parallels back to our saving faith. All right? My faith for salvation is simple. I believe. I believe Jesus died. I believe that he loves me. I believe that he paid my, uh, the cost of my salvation. It's a dependent faith. I cannot get anywhere. I cannot go to heaven. I cannot meet my needs apart from my faith in Jesus. And it should be, and this is where we trip up, a humble faith. I don't bring anything to the table. All right, when, when, when Jesus and I came to negotiate for my salvation and I said, well, I got this to offer and I got that to offer, God said, I don't need that. It's a humble faith. I just need the Savior. And so as we think about you know, children, we think about the love that Jesus had for them, we think about the example that he says that their, their faith to receive the kingdom as a child, um, it matters to God. These teens that were up here matter to God. All right? And, and I want us as a church family to, to see that. All right, we're gonna look at the story of Samuel. So go with me to the, the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, and, and that's where we're going to spend our evening and uh, our Bible study tonight is in the uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, and we're going to start in uh, verse number one, and very briefly, uh, we, we do have a lot of reading tonight, so I'll try and, and jump through uh, some of the introduction here, uh, but we know that uh, Samuel's mother was Hannah, and Hannah was for many years barren, unable to bear children. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9, um, the Bible records, so Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. And now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. She wanted a son. She wanted a child. And, and I'm sure there, you know, for whatever doctors they had at that time, you know, whatever they could do. But she knew that if she was going to have children, it would be from the Lord. And so they had gone, as, as their custom was, they went to, to do the sacrifices. And, 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 and so she had gone to the, uh, to the temple there, and she was weeping. She had bitterness of soul. All right, how many of you guys have had that, where you just wept? And you didn't have words, and, and you, were, you were a mess, Bitterness of soul, and that's what she was experiencing. She wanted a child. And she prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. In verse 11, we see a vow that she makes. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. She made a vow to the Lord and said, God, if you would give me a son, I will give him back to you. If you will give me a child, I will give him back to the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. We won't read the whole story for the sake of time, but Eli sees her weeping. Uh, he supposes that she's drunk, and that was not the case, all right? She was very much sober, but she was crying and weeping to the Lord, begging for a child. 
In verse 17, we find that Eli answered and said, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. In verse 19, and they rose up early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. She made her request. Eli says, go in peace, and the Lord will grant you that request. And the next day, they, they rose up early and they worshiped God. This is an awesome story about how that came, came to be and came to their house in Ramah. And we know the story that, uh, that God honored her, that, that request. God gave her a son. She conceived, and she hadn't been able to for all these years, and now God gave her that son. And, and I'm sure, you know, if we put ourselves in Hannah's shoes, I'm sure the thought occurred to her, well, maybe it's a, maybe it's a fluke. You know, I'm, maybe that popped into her mind. Maybe she, the thought occurred, well, yeah, God, you, you gave me this son, but how could I ever give up my child? You know, if I, if I was to take a survey of the room, all right, all the mothers out there, and I said, okay, your firstborn child, your firstborn son, how many of you be, would be willing to part with him? How many of you would be willing to give him to the Lord? All right, I, I, it would be a hard sell. I, and I know that for my wife and I, I, I would have a hard time with it. But it was a vow that she made to God. And uh, I think that's a very important thing. And so in verse uh, 24, we'll begin reading again. And when she had weaned him, that would probably be around two, two years of age, a little bit past that, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. All right, we would think between two and three years old. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood, thee, stood by thee here. Praying unto the Lord for this child, I prayed. How many guys love to see answered prayer? Yeah. How many guys would love to say, hey, God, I prayed, or you're, you're t telling your, your testimony to others, and you say, I prayed to God, and he gave me this child. He gave me this son. Uh, Timothy's here. All right, I'm going to pick on Timbit. Uh, many of you guys are, are aware, um, Amanda and I, our, our first uh, pregnancy ended in mis miscarriage. And so we prayed. You know, we, we didn't know, you know, as, as many young couples, we didn't know what the future looked like and all that. And so we prayed. We asked God, God, if you would, we, we would love children. If that's in your plan, help us to, to be able to honor you. And, uh, and so Timothy, what's your middle name? Oh, he's, he's back there. Timothy, what's your middle name? Samuel. Samuel. All right. And I knew as soon as, uh, as soon as we found out we were expecting again, Amanda was expecting, um, we weren't entirely sure on the first name, but I knew that I wanted the middle name to be Samuel because we had prayed for him. And that was a very specific answer to prayer. And, uh, and so thinking about, um, you know, the things that God gives us and how precious our children are, how important our children are. And so helping us to understand a little bit of what Hannah was going through and experiencing as she brought her son to the temple, knowing that they would have to do that trip back home without him. And how, how difficult that would have been. But she had made a vow. And so she fulfilled that vow, and, and, uh, and Samuel was to, to remain at the temple and live with, uh, with Eli. Verse, 20, uh, um, verse 26, so she shares that story. She said, oh, my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord for this child I prayed. And the Lord hath given me my petition when I asked of him. 
Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And I saw that word lent, and, and, and so I, I, was, I was studying it. And it comes from the word shawal, if I say that right. And for those of you that understand grammar and are way smarter than I am, uh, it has a causative uh, tense or a causative voice. And it has the idea of to be given back on request, to, to grant or to lend on request. She had made a vow to God, and so Samuel was not hers. Like it, it, was, it was her biological son, yes, but she had already vowed him to God. And so she fulfilled that vow on that day as she gave him over uh, to Eli to, to, um, to live and, and to serve the Lord. And so we see that, that uh, investment, that, that beginning of Samuel's life of, of being prayed for, of, of being loved by his parents, and then being given to Eli. And I, I want us to look now, and this is kind of the, the focus of our evening, is of how Samuel was raised. All right, we have young kids. We are learning and we are, are you know, finding our way through raising children. And uh, you talk to anyone that has raised children, no one gets it right. All right, you try and do your best. Um, but it, it's challenging. And so I want us to consider how Samuel was raised after she was given to Eli, all right, after that took place. She no longer is able to, uh, to care for her own son. Eli would do that. Um, and, and I want us to see the environment that, uh, that Samuel was, was, was handed over into. And it's actually, as, as crazy as it is to think, the environment at the temple at this time was not good. And, and we would think, hey, we are the, the, the church. The church should be the safest place to raise children. All right? For Samuel, it wasn't the case. And that's a horrible thought to think about. But God records that for us in his scripture. Look at 1 Samuel 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They, were not, they knew not the Lord. All right, these guys were priests. These guys were what we would call pastors. These guys were leading worship. These guys were the ones that were supposed to be uh, examples, all right? And the Bible says that they knew not the Lord. They were sons of Belial. Verse 13, the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand, uh, and he, he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also before they, uh, before they burnt the fat, the priest's servants came and said to the man that sacrificed, give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, let them not fail to burn the fat presently and, t and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he, would not, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. All right, God had instituted um, a, a plan, God had instituted a procedure that would look after the priests, all right? And their sacrifice, they were entitled to a portion of it, but there was a very specific way that God had intended. And these guys, the, 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 um, uh, the sons of Eli, they didn't follow that. They did not follow the example that God had, had commanded, and it, it comes down to greed. It comes down to, to satisfying their own desires, and they did not honor God. 
And I want us to look at verse 17. Wherefore the sin of the young man, young men was very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. It came to the point that when people would come and do the sacrifices that God had commanded them to do, that as they were in that process and, and uh, these priests were, were disobeying God and, and doing things improperly, that the Bible says that that caused the people of Israel to abhor, to d- disdain, to hate worship. And I want us just to, to pause here. This isn't necessarily about Samuel, but think about that. That someone would get to the point that they defiled worship. They defiled the sacrifice to the Lord so that the congregation hated it. You know, and I remember going through as a young person and, and uh, you know, even as, as a youth pastor and my wife and I, we talk with different people, different kids, different teens, different young adults, and, and they hate church. There was something that bothered them, something that had offended them, something that, that um, you know, and, and sometimes their grievances, sometimes their complaints were accurate. You know, a lot of times it's not. A lot of times we just have, uh, you know, our own selfish desires. But there are times that sincerely they've been hurt in church. They've been offended in church. They've seen, what's the big uh, stab against us? Hypocrisy. You know, they see people at church live one way and then they see them at the week, during the week, and it's, it's not the same. And so our young people, in this case, in the story that we're looking at, the men of Israel abhorred, hated worship because it wasn't done properly. All right, and we'll see how that applies to us in our, our challenge at the end here. Um, the, the Bible records these, these two priests' names as Hophni and Phinehas, and their sin was public, Their sin was a defilement against the worship of the Lord, and it caused men to to, uh, detest, to withdraw from worshiping God. But I want us to see, right in the middle of saying that, all right, the Bible, right in the middle of recording their sin, of recording their wickedness, we see in verse 18, but Samuel, all right, as much as they had sin, we still have Samuel, all right? But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, Girded with a linen ephod, all right? He wasn't able to be a a title of a priest, but Eli had given him certain responsibilities. Eli had given him opportunities to serve the Lord in his own capacity. Verse 19, moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year. And when she came up, uh, when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And again, as we, we looked at Hannah's um, giving him over to the Lord, and we, we talked about and tried to get into her mindset of how hard that would be. This would be hard as well. Every year you get to see your son one time. All right, you go and you see him, and how exciting that would be. And the Bible says that she made a coat for him year after year, and I'm sure she looked forward to that day, and it was an exciting time, and it was a great time, but eventually that trip was over. You know, I don't know how long they would spend there, a a couple days, a week maybe, but every time at the end of that trip, she had to leave her son. And I I could just imagine that was another, um, just a hard experience. And the reverse of that for Samuel as well, Samuel had to grow up not living with his parents. You know, his his mom and dad were off in another city and uh, he had to live at church. You know, and, and I know there's many people who have grown up at Bethel who felt like they live at church. You know, they're here for school, they're here for church, they're here for visitation, all the other things. 
Um, but yeah, for Samuel, he lived at the temple. He lived with Eli. And no doubt he, he heard the stories from his parents and said, well, mom, why can't I come home? Well, Samuel, let me tell you about a promise I made the Lord. Let me tell you how I had no children until God answered my prayer. And the promise I made God, the vow I made is that you would stay here and that you would serve the Lord, that I would give you over to him. And so that no doubt had an impact on Samuel's life. You know, and as much as that might have been a challenging experience, I think it, it taught him some things. It taught him that giving a promise to the Lord means something. That serving the Lord was, was a privilege, was something not to be, uh, you know, just cast away or thrown to the side. And, and from his opportunity to, to, to live at the temple and to serve the Lord through that and to, to see his parents and, and, uh, and no doubt have them reinforce why he was there and what his purpose was, Samuel grew. And we see that at the end of verse 21, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. And then the Bible shifts back to, to Hophni and Phinehas. In verse 22, the Bible says, Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto Israel. Eli heard. Okay, he knew. He knew as the high priest of Israel, he should have, and he did. He knew better. All right, and he heard what his children were doing. How they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, why do you such things? For I hear of the evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people, not just their sin, all right? But remember, they had made the children of Israel hate worship. They had made the children of Israel hate sacrificing. And by extension, they were causing the Lord's people to transgress, it was also the example. What they were doing here at the, at the, um, at the temple was, was plain and obvious for everyone else. And no doubt, you know, in my mind, there, no doubt people were using that as an excuse to justify their own actions. And so Eli, he, he does. He challenges them. And he says, it's no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people tra to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge uh, shall judge him. But if man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto the voice of their father because the Lord would slay them. All right, we see that Eli, he does talk to them, but then it stops. He never, never stops what they were doing. All right, he is the high priest. Who had the authority to put an end to what they were doing? He did. He had the authority, he had the responsibility to, to oversee the worship of the temple. And to, to allow and to, to, um, uh, to, to know that that was going on and not stop it. And we're, not, we're not talking about the conversation. The Bible says they had the conversation, all right? But there had to be a point where he said, no, we're not going to let this continue. And we don't see that. Scripture then goes back to Samuel in verse 26. And the child Samuel grew on and was, uh, was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. And then it goes back to Hophni and Phinehas. Verse 27, there came a man of God unto Eli and he said unto him, thus saith the Lord, did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon mine altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of, of thy father all the offerings made by fire unto the children of Israel? 
Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation. And this, is, this would be horrible to hear. All right, this man of God comes and confronts Eli and says this, and honorest thy sons above me. Eli loved his kids more than he loved the Lord. And, and that is something that we have to be aware of and careful of. You know, I, I have preached before, and, and, uh, um, and it, it's not something that, that I'm proud of, you know, but as Abraham, God told him, Abraham, take your son, go offer him as a sacrifice. I don't know if I could do that. I very likely could not do that. You know, I think we'd all like to stand up, I could obey the Lord, all right? But honestly, that would be the, one of the hardest things I could imagine if the Lord said, go and offer your son, all right? And now we see this in, with Eli that he loved, he honored his children more than he honored God. And that is a, a backwards priority. You know, I told my kids I'd pick on them, all right? When, when we put you to bed, we say, who loves you most? He's not going to talk to me. All right, we say God loves you most, all right? And then we say mom and dad love you, all right? And we ask them, or how do we say it, babe? I'm getting all mixed up. Who do I love the most? I ask the kids, who, who does dad love the most? And the first thing they say is God. And that should be the priority, all right? I love God first, and then I love mom, and then I love my boys, Timba and Toby. And that actually comes from a, a family meeting we had. I, I don't know if my parents remember this, all right? When I was probably eight or nine, uh, Charles and I were not behaving, all right? And so my dad, he's like, family meeting. And I thought that was a good thing, all right? I was all excited. I have this memory. I was running through the living room, family meeting, family meeting. And then we sit down at the table, and dad, you know, he, he corrected us, we'll say, <laughs> all right? And he told us, I remember it clear as day, I love your mother more than I love you. And I remember as a kid just not really understanding that. But that is what God, God has designed different, um, um, not priorities, what the word I'm looking for, but we should love God first. God has to be first, more than our kids, all right? More than, than anything in this world is God. All right, and Eli lost sight of that. In verse 29, he's confronted with it. Ye kick against, uh, wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. He was confronted with it. Oh, we won't read the whole story or the, the whole passage here, um, but verse 30 down to verse 35 is, is the judgment that God would, would uh, bring against Eli's house. He says, because of this, your house is cut off. Because of this, um, uh, essentially both of thy sons will die. Verse 34, and this shall be a sign unto thee that thou shalt um, that shall come upon thy two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. I right, imagine getting that news. Eli, you've lost sight. You love your kids more than you love me. I'm going to take them from you. Imagine what Eli experienced. In verse 35, the Bible says, I'll raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. Now we get to 1 Samuel chapter 3. All right, and, and I made mention, we read that whole passage because I wanted us to see how God chose to, to put Samuel in between all, those, those, uh, all the discussion about Hophni and Phinehas. 
All right, again, if we, if we uh, go back just a little bit, uh, in verse 18, we see Samuel mentioned. All right, uh, from 12 down to 17 is, is Hophni and Phinehas and their sin. 18, Samuel is mentioned. And then from, uh, from 20 down to 25, we see the, 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 um, uh, you know, the, the, the conversation Eli had with his sons. And then verse 26, Sam, Samuel is mentioned. And then from 27 down to, to 35, uh, we see the, the consequences for that. You know, and, and yet God puts Samuel right in the middle of that. And I think that'll be very important as, as we get to our conclusion at the end, okay? But in chapter three, we find the, the uh, mention of Samuel being called of God. Um, and in, in verse number, uh, uh, in verse one, the Bible says, and the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Okay, all of this is going on. Samuel is serving God, all right? In verse two, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was and Samuel was laid down to sleep that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, here am I. And he ran to Eli. God called him, but he ran to Eli. And he said, here am I for thou callest. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down, and the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son, lie down again. Verse 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. All right, he had not yet come to a knowledge of him. All right, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And I would look at this and, and say that Samuel was still in his formative years. All right, what was Samuel's formative years? All right, who were his examples to watch do sacrifices? Who were his examples to, to watch what the behavior of a priest was at the temple? Hophni and Phinehas, all right? And don't forget the yearly visit from his parents. And, and I'd like to hope that Eli had been training him as well. But I want us to point out he didn't yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet be, been revealed unto him. He's still in that form of year, and he, he was torn between two. He was torn between a world that honored God, that loved God, that wanted to share the, the vow that she had made. I, was, I couldn't have kids. God answered my prayer. That's why you're here, Samuel. That's why you can't come home with us. And then in his day-to-day -day ministering, he sees wickedness. He sees greed, immorality. And he's in between these two. And in verse 8, the Bible says, The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord uh, came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all the things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made them vile, and he restraineth them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever." All right, as Samuel was trying to figure out where do I fit in this, he hears from God. He finally hears from God. And God says, Samuel. And he, he answers, and, and, uh, and it wasn't a message of 
happiness, was it? It wasn't a message of, hey, this is the first time we've talked. I want to tell you a little bit about myself. He actually, the Lord gives them a, a pretty sobering message. He says, hey, you know that stuff that you've been seeing that you maybe questioned wasn't, wasn't right? Maybe your dad would come and, and his yearly visit. And I know I'm, I'm hypoth- hypothetically, what's the word? Uh, not, what? Embellishing. Embellishing a little bit, okay? Um, I'll stand not behind the Bible, okay? You know, but possible, possible conversations, we'll say. And his parents would say, yeah, we're coming here. Hophni and Phineas, they're just not doing it like, like they should. They're not doing it like Eli used to. Oh, okay, mom and dad, that's nice. Honor God, you know? And, and now, imagine those conversations happen. Now the Lord appears to him and says, I am going to judge that sin. I'm going to take that away from Eli. I'm going to take that away from his house. Sin has those consequences. And so Samuel finally has heard from the Lord, and we know the story. Uh, go down to verse 19. Uh, he, he tells Eli, of course, in verse 19, Samuel grew. And what? The Lord was with him. All right, he made a choice not to take part in the sin of Phineas and, and Hophni, not to, to, to fall under the, um, the, the false notion that that's how priests behave, that that's how we worship God. All right, he was faithful, excuse me, faithful to the Lord. Samuel grew, the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And appeared, the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And so as we finish our, our reading, very quickly we'll, we'll have our application. And our first one's to our teenagers, all right, to all the teens and youth group, all right? Um, Samuel grew up in a home that was not... God honoring. He grew up at church that was not God honoring. And, and I want us to, to, to stop for a moment. And I would love to, and I do believe we do our best to honor the Lord here. All right? I, I, I try. We would try our best in our, our teen ministry to honor the Lord. But never let your church be the reason why you don't turn out. Never let your church Never let Christians, never let the people around you be the reason that you don't follow God. Samuel didn't. Samuel saw it and rejected it. that's That's not what we're supposed to be doing. That's not the behavior that God honors. That's not how I want to live my life. When I'm a Christian and I'm a, when I'm a parent, when I'm a father, when I'm a mother, that's not the family I want. And I want us to, to, Teens, I want you to look around and as good as we try and make church, we are not perfect, all right? I'll be the first to say, I'm not a perfect youth pastor. I have faults, I have failures, my wife has a list, you can ask her about them, all right? I will let you guys down. That is not the reason to turn your back on God, all right? We have to discern. We have to be able to look past that to our Savior. Samuel grew up around both positive and negative examples But Samuel had to come to a point where he would decide which life he was going to live. All right? I grew up here. I grew up with other kids. Some chose God. Many chose the world. All right? Teenagers, you're growing up here. You have to decide. 
right? Chris, you're a senior. Callie, you're a senior. You have to decide, what am I doing with my life? 18, 19, 20, what am I doing with my life? Will I follow the Lord? He came to that point where he had to decide, and ultimately he did. Uh, Teens, you have to be willing to answer God's call, all right? What if Samuel had said no? God says, Samuel, Samuel, and he says, "Uh, not now. I'm not interested. I like my sleep, (laughs) right? Um, He answered that call. And so, teens, I want you to just to have that, just bury that deep inside. If all the world around me is, is a poor example of God, that is not my God. My God is pure. My God is holy. My God is righteous. And that's the God that I'm going to follow after. All right, to our parents, what's our application to us as parents? And I'm in this boat. Hannah knew her vow to the Lord. She had made that vow, all right? She followed it. How hard was that to follow, all right? What if our kids only see us being a Christian when it's easy? What if our kids only see us loving Jesus when it's easy? What if our kids, you know, the stuff they remember... It's, it's weird, you know, we, we go over to mom and dad's and we talk about different memories you have of when you were a kid. And it's weird the stuff that you forget and it's weird the stuff that you just remember, all right? What if, what if our kids only remember the bad, right? And they say, that's not what I want. I'm done. And they walk away. A challenge to us as parents, you know, and again, the Bible doesn't say this and so I want to be very careful but I, I can't imagine it didn't come up. I can't imagine Samuel didn't ask, why can't I come home? And that would have been an opportunity. Samuel, we made a vow to God that matters. We honor God. We serve God. Even if the priests are, are, are uh, you know, defiling these sacrifices, we still do them because God commanded us to. All right, and they had those moments of instruction. As, as much as we rip on Eli, and, and the, the choices he made with his sons, I'm sure there was still moments where he could instruct him. And we see that. You know, the Bible says he perceived that God was the one speaking to him. And he said, Samuel, next time you hear this, say, speak, Lord, for thy servant here. So Samuel hadn't necessarily turned his back on God. As much as he had wrong priorities, he could have and likely still did teach Samuel. Uh, the, the verses are there um, that... Um, that Samuel served the Lord under, Elisha, or under Eli or served the Lord with Eli, all right? And so he was still part of that instruction. It's our responsibility to train up our kids. Proverbs 22, verse six, train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old, he will not depart from it. The children bear responsibility, okay? They get to make that choice. Our responsibility is to train, to teach, to make the effort, all right? Ephesians 6, verse 4, we have to be balanced. And fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All right? Parents, we'll step back from the church aspect. It is not the church's responsibility to raise your kids. It's not the church's responsibility to raise my kids. You know, we've met with different parents over the years. And, um, you know, we want to be, as youth pastor, we want to be a tool that you use as you teach and as you train and as you lead your children, all right? And, and so parents, you have the responsibility for the children God has entrusted to you. And so we do have a great responsibility. The church does play a role, 
All right. As much as, as I've, I've um, you know, uh, talked about some of the negative aspects that, that people experienced at the temple or at the church today, we do have a role. There's no denying that. All right. In, in Titus chapter 2, I have two more passages and we'll be done. Titus chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men, all right, are seniors. All right, and I, I love our seniors. I get to, we do a Bible study every Tuesday and they pick on me and I pick on them. And it's a great time, all right? But our, our seniors have responsibility. And I would challenge you, I'd provoke you, I would, I would call you out a little bit on that. Our aged men, be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, charity in patience. The aged women likewise, that they uh, be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And, and so we have a list of all these characteristics that they are called to be, and there's a purpose. All right? Verse 4 is that purpose, that they may teach. All right? Our senior men, our senior ladies, your responsibility is not to enjoy retirement. All right? Your responsibility is to teach me. Your responsibility is to be my example, all right? To, to provoke me, to mentor me, all right? To mentor our young people, all right? And, and uh, I know many of you do, and, and, and so don't, don't think I'm, I'm you know, accusing that you're not, but that is a role that you have, all right? Verse four, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, Keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husband, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Okay, there's things to teach our young ladies. There's things to teach our young men. Young men also likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is on the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say to you. All right, parents, you have the primary responsibility to raise your kids. But as a church family, we have the opportunity to invest in our young people. All right, I get to work with our teenagers. I love it. Okay, I get to work with our kids. Amanda and I, we were in junior church this morning. All right, I love it. That, that is, Pastor mentioned it, those are our kids, are our future leaders. You know, 20 years ago, I was the teenager. Do you guys remember, you know, ugly, bowl cut, all right, acne? That was me. I was a teenager in this church. Cindy, we grew up together, all right? You look around, and there are kids that have grown up in this church, and I would hope would still love Jesus and want to serve. And so we look at these kids up here, and uh, you know, I don't want to lose any of them. In 10 years from now, I don't want to have the, the opportunity to say, oh, that one's not in church anymore. That one, oh, he did okay for a couple years, but then he left once he got out. You know, every kid that was on this platform tonight, I want 100% success. Amen. I want them to love Jesus. I want them to, to pursue Jesus. I want them to serve Jesus. And as, as a church family, it is our opportunity to invest in them. All right? Um, it's not our opportunity to just go and correct them and then walk away. Let me say it that way, all right? How many of you guys, if, if someone's a nobody and they just come in and bark at you and then walk away, you have no respect for them, all right? But let me ask you, if you go and find a teenager and invest in them and love on them and build a relationship with them 
And then you have opportunity to say, hey, you know, I, I, what are you doing? Who do you think they're gonna hear better from? The person who they trust, the person that's invested in them. And I know they're weird, I know they're loud. Oh, you, you gotta admit it, it's true, all right? But guys, that is our future. Those are our teachers. I was, I was a kid, and now I'm a youth pastor. All right, George, you want to pastor Bethel one day? You can do it, all right? These are, I'm serious. I, I joke about it, and I want us to, to, to laugh about it, but these are the kids that will be our future piano players, what pastor said, our future deacons, our future soundboard people, all right, the future me. One of those kids could be the youth pastor in 10 years, 20 years, who knows? We don't know what God would have for them. And so as a church family, we have, we have to see the value in investing in our young people. As parents, we have to see the value and, and, and recognize the responsibility that it's my responsibility to teach my kids. And then kids, as you're here, and teens, as you're here, it's your responsibility to stand before God. All right, I stand before God one day and he says, Calvin, how did you teach and train Toby? And I'll say, my wife and I, she did all the, the good work, okay? Um, but I will stand, I'll give an account for how I train them. They will give an account for how they receive it. Teenagers, as much as we talk about the church helping you and your parents helping you, you have the responsibility to decide who you want to serve, who do you want to love, all right? Samuel grew up in a poor circumstance, didn't get to live with his parents, Saw them once a year, lived at the temple with an old guy, you know. Eli was an old man, the Bible says that. It, it would have just been a, a unique circumstance, surrounded by sin. Remember that. And yet he chose to serve the Lord. He chose to be used of God to do great things. And that would be my, my challenge tonight. To, to, to our teens, choose to be Samuel. To our parents, choose to, to love your kids, to teach them. As a church family, to invest in our kids. Not passively, but active. All right, I encourage you, as we, we do our invitation tonight, I'll get Amanda to come on, on the piano there. You, you saw some of our teens. There's not all of them. Not all of them were able to be here tonight. Most of you know most of their names. I would encourage you, during our invitation night, pray for them. Ask God, give you an opportunity, give me an opportunity to invest in them, to encourage them. All right? At the very least, guys, we have to be praying for them. The world wants to, to chew them up, spit them out. As a church family, we have to love them. We have to protect them. We have to be praying for them. So as the music plays, I encourage us, we'll stand together, and we'll take a few moments as we just pray, and ask for God's protection. Ask God to protect them from sin. Ask God to, to, to protect them from the world. Ask God to give them hearts that desire him and uh, that they will remain and that they will love the Lord. Let's pray together for our young people, please.